With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think Parsons is a true believer. He's putting a lot on the line by filing a lawsuit. You know, he can't really walk away and just withdraw it. Uh, so he's kind of, he, he has to be in it to win it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Golf Unfiltered podcast, episode 126. I am your host, as always, Adam, from golfunfiltered.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at golfunfiltered, and you can send me an email, golfunfiltered at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram page and a Facebook fan page. Well, folks, the hottest story in golf equipment right now is the lawsuit filed by Parsons Extreme Golf, PXG for short, uh, against TaylorMade Golf on a new set of irons that TaylorMade has just released, the P790 irons that PXG claims is an infringement and has multiple infringements, actually, on some of the patents that Mr. Bob Parsons at PXG currently owns. So I don't know anything about patent law or copyright law or anything of that nature, but luckily, uh, one of my Twitter followers, Mr. Derek Brent, is an attorney at law and certainly the most qualified individual that I could think of to opine a little bit on the options that both sides have, uh, especially following the breaking news today that that temporary restraining order that I found so hilarious in the original uh, claim by PXG was denied by uh, by a court. So uh, Derek and I talk a little bit uh, about the ins and outs of what PXG is actually claiming in the lawsuit, what TaylorMade's defense could be. Uh, we do speak in very big generalities here because certainly we don't know what either side is going to do, but Derek has a ton of experience. He actually worked uh, on the Hill for a little bit, so uh, you're going to hear a little bit about his experience as well, uh, but he certainly paints a picture of what each side could do. Uh, before we get to the interview, folks, as I like to ask all the time, please feel free to go out, help out, support this podcast by going to iTunes and rating us five stars and leaving us a written review. I read all of those. I take those very seriously. Um, but uh, other than that, without much further ado, I hope you enjoy this discussion, uh, probably the first of many with Mr. Derek Brent as this uh, very interesting lawsuit continues to develop. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I am here with uh, Mr. Derek Brent, attorney at law, to talk a little bit about the, uh, the lawsuit that is taking the golf equipment world by storm these days, and that is, of course, the uh, lawsuit filed by PXG against TaylorMade. Uh, Derek, I'm so happy that we had a chance to connect. We're, uh, we're Twitter followers, <laughs> mutual Twitter follows, and so I'm very happy to speak with you this evening. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks, and thank you very much for having me on. Oh, thank you for agreeing to come on. And um, listeners, just a little background. I, I had put something out on Twitter to say, hey, are there any attorneys out there that are familiar with copyright law? And and Derek was kind enough to, uh, you know, trade a couple uh, tweets back and forth with me. And, um, you know, this is definitely the right guy to talk to about this particular type of uh, lawsuit. But 
Uh, Derek, before we get too deep into things, um, why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, I've been practicing for a little over 20 years. Uh, <clears throat> uh, went to law school in Chicago and lived and practiced in Chicago for a while. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and from there, I uh, practiced intellectual property law for the early part of my career, uh, specializing in uh, patent litigation. Uh, from there, I went on to a federal clerkship, uh, and then I moved on to uh, to the Department of Justice, uh, working in the Civil Rights Division as a senior trial attorney. Uh, from there, I moved on to work in the United States Senate as a chief counsel to a senator hmm. uh, for about six years, uh, where at that time I worked on, amongst the many legislative matters, one of the bills that I worked on was the uh, America Events Act, which was the Patent Reform Act. Uh, that passed in 2011 that changed, significantly changed uh, a lot of aspects of, of both patent litigation and uh, operations at the patent office. Wow. Uh, from there, from there, I moved on uh, for four and a, for four and a half years. I worked in in uh, Southern California as an in-house counsel, uh, also working in intellectual property as well as employment law matters at a medical device company. Huh. So it's pretty safe to say that you know, with 20 years experience and you know, even government experience, you, you know a lot about these types of lawsuits uh, between uh, uh, golf equipment companies. Is that right? Uh, fair, well, it, it, yeah, yes, I would say yes. The, the, I have a fair, amount of, uh, a fair amount of knowledge and experience with uh, uh, federal court litigation and as well as, as knowing the uh, uh, generalities, the general aspects of uh, patent litigation. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, the cases cost a lot. <laughs> the cases cost a lot. Uh, uh, I believe you know estimates are anywhere from at least a million to sometimes five million or more, depending on the complexity of the case. To take a case all the way from the beginning to trial, hmm. uh, there are other administrative procedures that go along. So the cases are complex. They're not for the faint of heart. And uh, if you want to actually go to a verdict, wow, that that is very costly and certainly. Based on that, you know, we're dealing with two powerhouses with PXG, uh, Parsons Extreme Golf, and um, uh, TaylorMade Golf. Obviously, they both have deep pockets, uh, maybe one more so than the other. But, you know, we're recording this on a Friday evening. Derek was very uh, generous with his time. And uh, by now, we've learned quite a bit. Uh, golf fans have learned quite a bit about what's going on with uh, the PXG claims as well as TaylorMade's responses to that. Um, but Derek, you know, for those who might not be completely up to speed, um, PXG, uh, specifically uh, Bob Parsons, who's the owner and creator of PXG, uh, filed a lawsuit, and in it, it was claiming copyright infringement. And so, uh, in a, at a very high level, Derek, what what is PXG claiming? Well, PXG is is essentially claiming that they that they have a patent, which is basically that they own the property rights uh, to a method of manufacturing uh, a club that is hollow, that has, uses that uses ports for weights in certain positions to expand the sweet spot, and that has an elastomer or polymer uh, uh, filling mm -hmm. uh, that also works to to increase the performance of the club and to uh, and to expand the. Uh, uh, the sweet spot. It creates a high-performing club. Those, those are the essential three elements uh, of that that PXG is claiming is their area of uh, innovation. Mm. 
And so this is in reference to PXG's 0311 irons, which is their their flagship line of irons, um, claiming that TaylorMade's newly released uh, P790 irons, which just from eyeball, you know, just eyeballing the two irons, don't look anything alike. But to your point, Derek, it goes down to how they're constructed, and both have very thin faces. I believe it's like 1.5 millimeters or something ridiculous. Um, they both have hollow bodies. Uh, as you pointed out, both have elastomers that are injected into the hollow body. Uh, TaylorMade actually calls this elastomer uh, speed foam, I think is what they're calling it. And uh, if I remember correctly, based on what I've read, the uh, construction of both irons are basically five pieces. And so all of those details are essentially what PXG has included in their, their lawsuit, correct? That's that's correct. That's what P, PXG has said that basically uh, TaylorMade has, has, has manufactured or created their, their exact product. And one thing to keep in mind is that they're, they're, the allegation doesn't have to be, uh, or the, the, the claim doesn't have to, to show that TaylorMade knew of PXG's uh, product or that TaylorMade was copying, directly copying, or intended to copy the product. In patent, as far as patent infringement goes, you can have an independent, you can have an independent product created that still infringes upon another, uh, another product, hmm. and, and that happens because the the person who makes the product second, the alleged infringer, has a duty to know of the products that come that, that come before their product. And the duty to know, which is fascinating, um, to what degree, well, I, I suppose this is why companies have entire legal teams to, to kind of sift through patents and to see whether or not their research and development is going to infringe on something. That's, that's correct. And, and, and oftentimes, if you're, if you're making the product, if you're, if you're the, we'll, we'll, for, for sake of technical term, or for sake of, of easy terminology, we'll, if you're the second producer or second manufacturer, mm-hmm. uh, you you would likely be you would likely seek uh, intellectual property protection. You would likely seek among among those protections. You would seek uh, patent protection. And at the time you're prosecuting your patent, that's the process of obtaining the patent, filing papers with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. As you go through that process. There would be there would be a discussion of other items that may what's called read upon your patent. That that just means there are other patents out there that may uh, that may have touched on subject areas or or, or items in your in your potential product. Mm. So as you're having that discussion with the patent and trademark office, you 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 should be aware of other patents that are potentially out there. Interesting, and so. The approach that PXG took with with uh, issuing this lawsuit or filing this lawsuit, rather, um, basically in defense, TaylorMade needs to prove that their P790 irons they they did their due diligence that their design does not um, directly copy or I'm not even sure the right terminology here because certainly I did, have not been in, in legal uh, uh, experience as, as much as you have, but. Uh, essentially, Taylor may just has to defend and, and show that no, you know, while we have similar, uh, you know, pieces to this club, and while it may also include five uh, pieces into a hollow body and so on and so forth, that it doesn't actually infringe on any of the specific patents that PXG holds. 
that's that's correct and 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 to break it down to break it down a little bit more tailor-made will will look to show a a couple things uh, to avoid infringement uh, or to defend against infringement and the first thing that they'll argue is that our product is different our product the the patent you know the patent with its descriptions for the 311 uh, clubs uh, does not actually cover what we do uh, and so they will seek to say that the interpretation of inside the patent there there are descriptions of the elements of the of the manufacturing process and of the product those are called patent claims mm-hmm. uh, and, and remember that's that's separate from what's called what's from the legal claim the you know of patent infringement mm-hmm. so patent claims are the descriptions of the elements of the of the club and and so tailormade will seek to say that these patent claims actually do you know cannot be interpreted to cover our product there our product is different because of x our product is different because of y our product is different because of z Hmm. so that's their first line of defense then their second line of defense is by the way uh phg's patents are not should not have phg should not have been granted a patent in the first place which is interesting Uh, not to interrupt but this is something you and i've talked about and it, it, this is extremely interesting, and uh, because essentially PXG is a, a brand new, well, not brand new, but they're, they're a, the new kid on the block, so to speak. So maybe they haven't done their due diligence uh, to the, a point that you're getting to. Yeah, yes, it, it's typical in patent cases that the you know the, the first two lines of defense are one, we don't infringe because our product is really is actually different. Uh, and then the second line of defense is, by the way, their patent is invalid, and their patent is invalid because it's not novel, it's not something really new, and, or the patent is obvious. That when you look at other patents that are out there, including potentially, you know, our, you know, our the defendant's patents, when you look at those patents, it, actually this product is 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 obvious in light of those other in light of in light of the other patents and products that are out there. Hmm. And printed publications. So those are typically the two lines of defense that are taken. So, so yes, TaylorMade. You can you can almost go to the bank that TaylorMade is going to argue that the PXG patents uh, should not have been granted. And it's it's not so much that PXG didn't do its diligence. It's 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 actually a claim more more along the lines of that that the Patent and Trademark Office made a mistake and did not and should not have granted the PXG patent. That's that's just so fascinating, uh, you know. And so, Derek, one of the things too is, and and listeners, Derek and I are just hypothesizing here. You know, we're not certainly Derek has the expertise to opine on this, um, you know, with with uh, intelligence and certainly knows many examples of of other products in different industries. But, Derek, is it possible that another defense, maybe this is what you're saying, is that maybe TaylorMade can file a counterclaim? Uh, yes, that's that's always a possibility. It depends on, and I, again, neither you nor I is is totally familiar with with TaylorMade's patent portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we could do a we could do a search online to to look at TaylorMade's patents, uh, but uh, but what we would not be able to find out are uh, would be the patent applications that are in process and things that may predate even the the Parsons uh, uh, patent application or patent patents uh so it's possible that taylor may it's but it's possible that taylor made uh could file a counterclaim uh if they if they have a patent issued uh 
that is similar, they could turn around and say, not only are we going to say that your patent is invalid, it should not have been granted, but we believe your product, that we have a patent that predates your, that your, your patent, and that your patent actually infringes our or your product infringes our patent. Huh. It's a little bit it's a little bit confusing. I'll try to clear clean clean that up a little bit uh, by explaining it this. TaylorMade can turn around and counterpunch basically hmm. by saying PXG your patent is invalid and by the way we have a patent that predates your product that that, that you have infringed. Huh. And so that that turns and when the when a case gets to a point where you have counterclaims like that, you have two infringement claims uh, from two companies with similar products going against each other. The the cases get very very complex because both sides are having to play offense and defense at the same time. It's just so interesting. And and again, listeners, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but again, we have no idea what they're going to do either sides. But this is something that Derek, you've seen in other industries and in other patent uh, lawsuits um, where uh, the, the um, I believe the defendant then in this case, which would be tailor-made, can go ahead and just counterpunch, as you put it, um, to kind of go back and forth to, to kind of string out this legal battle. And when we're talking about pat- uh, patents and the documents associated with them, we're not talking about, you know, just a few pages here, right? I mean, these things could be hundreds of pages long. Oh, oh, oh! We're uh, the amount of documents that that are associated with a patent infringement lawsuit are, are numerous, hmm. uh, and, and voluminous would probably be a better word, <laughs> uh, it, because typically you have the you, you have all of the docu- you have the research and what's going to be in play are all of the documents related to the research and development of the product. Uh, and just as a as a side note, at this point, one of the things that, that that listeners you know should should note is that these companies you know their 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 internal uh, notes and their internal infor, uh, their internal notes and documentation those are proprietary to them. Their trade there's a lot of trade secret information. So as you've seen already, PXG has already filed for a protection of some of the materials that they had to submit for this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. TaylorMade asked for its re, its uh, response to the uh, temporary restraining order to be sealed, and the reason is because they're having to submit a lot of confidential information. Ultimately, in this case, what will happen is there will, there will be something called a protective order so that the sides can exchange information knowing that the other side is under a duty of confidentiality. Uh, now, to go back to the the original point about the documents, you're talking about research and, and research and design, research and development documents, R&D documents. You're talking about internal sales documents, internal mar- marketing documents. Hmm. Uh, you're talking about marketplace documents. You're talking about internal emails that are discussing the potential marketing and sales. Wow. So when you when you have a company. When you have Parsons, which is a, which is even though it's a smaller company, I'm sure there's you know they have a lot of documents related to their work, and then you have TaylorMade, which is a massive organization, and you have to remember TaylorMade also is attached to Adidas, so doc, some documents that may have flowed from from TaylorMade to Adidas, the the, the parent company, will be in play. Uh, you're talking about a lot, a lot, a lot of documents that both sides will exchange, and that they will then have to hire experts to do analysis on for economic reasons, for also uh, mechanical and product-related reasons. 
Listeners, once again, we are talking with Mr. Derek Brent, attorney at law, uh, with a ton of experience in copyright infringement lawsuits and the like. Um, Derek, uh, something that just broke earlier today, actually, and something that you referenced in the lawsuit from PXG towards uh, TaylorMade was a request for a temporary restraining order, which for someone who, like myself, who doesn't read this type of stuff very often, it was almost laugh out loud funny <laughs> that that he would, <laughs> that PXG would issue uh, a temporary restraining order and it got denied. And so uh, very briefly, Derek, what was PXG's intent in requesting for a TRO? Sure. And, and I just want to clarify one thing, Adam, and, 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 and that is that that this this lawsuit is it's not a copyright lawsuit it's mm-hmm. a, it's a patent it's it's a patent and so good clarification uh, but yeah but 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 the thank you uh, but but the restraining order yeah it's 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 funny because you know we we think about restraining orders as orders that keep people away from uh, you know, from point A or a person, right, or person right. A, you know, that's, and so you're saying, what, you know, is Parsons asking for, for TaylorMade not to, to, to be close to them? <laughs> come within uh, 500 but, yards of Exactly. <laughs> don't, come, don't come to Arizona. Uh, but, uh, uh, but no, the restraining order actually in this case was a, an attempt to ban, to, to bar or ban uh, TaylorMade from selling its product. And today was the release date uh, for the TaylorMade irons, I believe. Uh, so the, the 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 purpose of the restraining order was was it was a request to the court to essentially say to Taylor that that there would be irreparable harm to uh, PXG if TaylorMade were allowed to sell its product not just today but during the time of the lawsuit. Uh, so TaylorMade or so sorry PXG was making a request to the court to ban those sales because you know because of the irreparable harm. Now, Taylor the, to to go ahead to, on that point, irreparable harm. What what would have what would that even look like in this case? Would it would it be a matter of the fact that the the TaylorMade irons would be sold for less, and so therefore PXG couldn't could no longer make those claims that they have superior equipment? And would that be an example of irreparable harm? Yeah, yes, there's a so that's part of it. Is is selling. The irreparable harm would be selling, basically selling PXG's clubs or, or knockoff PXG clubs at a lesser price, thereby you know, thereby taking profits and revenues away from uh, from PXG. I and see. Okay. Once those once those you know profits and revenues are at TaylorMade, they can't be you know it becomes more difficult to ascertain those uh, to ascertain those and, and to get those back, uh, later on in the lawsuit, should the lawsuit go five years or so, say. I see. Okay. And so the whole and, premise, and, and I'm sorry, and just one last point sure, is sure. that there's a reputation, there's a reputational harm. And that's, that's usually, usually when you see restraining orders or, or the next phase of the case, by the way, is the, is the preliminary injunction, which is a similar type thing. It's a similar thing. It's, it's calling for the ban of sale of the clubs, uh, it just use it, there's just a little bit more evidence that will be used uh, at that phase, but the whole idea is that usually usually when you somebody is going for an injunction, whether it's a restraining order or preliminary or permanent injunction, they're they're going to throw up that there's a there's a loss of goodwill and a loss of of reputation in the marketplace by allowing the sales of infringing products, and then there's also mon- there's also monetary damages uh, that that will be difficult to recoup. Interesting. Okay, so this is all really 
uh, coming together now, listeners, as I'm sure you can hear by the explanation that Derek has offered to us. And, you know, Derek, I know that this is extremely early in, in this particular case. Um, it's I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to ask for you to put on your, uh, you know, your wizard hat or anything to and get, get, get out your crystal ball to kind of predict how this is going to play out. But what are the next steps for both sides? You know, generally speaking, uh, what would uh, now that the TRO has been denied, who is going to do what? at this stage early on in this lawsuit? Uh, I think well, I think the next steps will be, uh, the, the potential next steps, let me just call them potential, that would be mm-hmm. more more accurate. Uh, for On PXG's side, PXG now has the next stage. I believe the court said in a month or so they were gonna, going to hold the, uh, the, the, the preliminary injunction hearing. And as I mentioned, that's basically a restraining order uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's much more beefed up. You can have live testimony in the courtroom. You, there will be experts that will be brought in to opine on, on various aspects of, of the potential harms of, of the sale of, of the infringing goods and why they should be barred or why they should not be barred and why economic damages uh, are sufficient. So, it's a, it, so PXG will proceed forward to the next stage of the, of the preliminary injunction hearing. Uh, they will also pro- probably start issuing discovery in the case, uh, and I suspect that's th- that discovery is is where one side starts asking for information from the other side. They'll ask for documents. Uh, they will ask, you know, certain questions on the record that are under penalty of perjury, or right. uh, that and they'll ask for responses to certain questions, and then you know those 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 statements, those responses to those questions. Uh, in writing will be, you know, will be held throughout the case. Uh, they will, you know, there'll be positions taken on certain issues in the case. So discovery is the way that, that PXG will obtain evidence from, from uh, TaylorMade about various questions they have about how they came up with their product. Uh, was it independent? Did they have any knowledge of, of, of PXG's uh, uh, process? The, different things like that. And so the next stage is for is for PXG probably to start serving discovery onto TaylorMade. On TaylorMade's side, TaylorMade will prepare for the defense of the preliminary injunction. Although they they you know, should feel a little bit comfortable about you know about some of the arguments and, and, and that were accepted by the court for in, in denying the request for a restraining order. But TaylorMade now has to prepare prepare for the next stage of the preliminary injunction and also prepare for discovery. And, and this is the task of their in-house counsels as well as their outside counsels to start preparing for – to gathering uh, to gather records hmm. and start preparing for requests to depose certain people. And by the way, TaylorMade may issue its own discovery to the, to the other side. Uh, so, Taylor, so Taylor, this is where – sort of the rubber starts meeting the road where you start trying to figure out your strategy for gathering uh, gathering evidence and information and, and you actually start asking for that information uh, and start working towards that. There's one more additional aspect uh, that, that TaylorMade is probably making a decision on, and that's something that came about in the, the bill that I mentioned uh, previously, the mm-hmm. America Invents Act that started in, in 2011. And there's a new type of review that's called inter-parties review at the Patent and Trademark Office. And what it does is it allows someone who – it allows a defendant in a patent infringement lawsuit like TaylorMade uh, to request an examination at the Patent and Trademark Office of, its, of the patents that are being asserted. Uh, 
by, in this case, by PXG. Hmm. So TaylorMade can ask for an administrative review of the of of PXG's patents by the Patent and Trademark Office, essentially saying these patents should not have been granted, mm-hmm. and here are you know previous patents that show that th- that this is not a novel invention or that it's obvious, as I mentioned before. Uh, and so they can make that challenge at the Patent and Trademark Office to, to make a determination that these patents, are, whether, whether these patents are, are valid or invalid. And TaylorMade, will, if they decide to do that, can then go back to the federal court and say, hey, the, the Patent and Trademark Office is going to make a decision about whether these patents are even valid. And so, court, you should stay this matter not not force us to spend more money in court doing all this discovery and everything until we have a decision on the uh, inter-parties review on the validity of these patents. And so it's basically an administrative proceeding that allows the Patent and Trademark Office to take a second look if there are in fact other patents that are that are uh, that are worth that are worth uh, if there are other patents that would potentially uh, render render PHG's patent uh, invalid. I am so glad that I met you on Twitter. <laughs> this, this, is extreme, <laughs> this is extremely interesting information, Derek. So, uh, Derek, extremely helpful. I, I just have one more question uh, for you, and then, sure. I'll, then I'll get you out of here. And, again, thank you for your generosity with your time tonight. No, no problem. Um, so there have been some, uh, you know, some conspiracy theorists, and certainly, Derek, I am one of those, <laughs> who uh, <laughs> might believe that uh, this is just one big um, you know, publicity stunt from PXG. They just want to go throw a little meat in the water and see what happens. Uh, what's your take on that? I mean, it sounds like this is a very, uh, well, it's, it's a very, you know, legalese way, <laughs> if that's even a term, uh, to, to, you know, get some publicity from this. So what's your take on that whole thing? Uh, you know, it, it's pretty costly. It's a pretty costly way to get publicity, right? right. And, uh, uh, if if PXG were doing that, and not only is it costly, but but uh, uh, but it's also if PXG loses, it's, it's, uh, then 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 the publicity would would you know uh, would not necessarily be the greatest publicity uh, <clears throat> out there. Uh, it would basically, you know, we would say that not only does TaylorMade have a non-infringing product, but they have a non-infringing product that everybody knows about now uh, at a lower cost. Um, I, you know, I, I I think that that you know my my sense is, and I, again, I, you know, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, and I don't have a hotline right. into to, to Dr. Bob Parsons. Right. right. Uh, but in hearing interviews with him, you know, I, I I think he probably he probably believes that this that, that this product undercuts his product, um, and 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 he it look it looks it looks a lot like what he's done. I will, you know, I'll say that in my, just in my rough opinion from just early looks, you know, that the, the issue of the tungsten screws that are used in the, uh, in the new TaylorMade irons versus the way the tungsten screws are used in the uh, Taylor, in the uh, PXG irons, uh, those are, those are slightly different to me, but, but again, that's what the case is for and that's what evidence is for. Uh, but, but I do think that, that Parsons believes that there, that somebody ripped him off and is going to sell his clubs at a at a lower price, uh, and so I think he's a true believer. You know, in my in my experience and in my practice, this was the you know Parsons was the type of guy that you looked at and said, and if you got sued by him, uh, you said to yourself, "Look, guys, we have to go to trial 
So we have to make a decision about how far we're willing to go in this case before we try to, you know, are we willing to go to the mat or is this something where we need to try and talk about a business settlement mm. uh, uh, with them? And so you know, that that's a, you know, that's an open question. TaylorMade, you know, it, 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 they're in a tough position because on one hand, maybe a business settlement makes, makes, it makes sense. But on the other hand, I don't know that they want to be tied to, you know, making payments to Parsons over time as they sell their clubs. And so, yeah, that seems like a, a bad position a, to be in. <laughs> that's a, it's a, it, exactly. Now I will say, and I've mentioned this quirk to you, the, the, the one quirky part about the Parsons claim to me is that their marketing has all been that we're different than, than everybody else. Mm-hmm. We didn't go to the, we don't go to PGA, uh, to PGA merchandise shows. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't sell at big box stores. We don't do any of these things that the traditional sellers do. We have a, one model, and it's for high-end people. So the the question becomes, why do they care? You know, why do they care about clubs that are not in their, really in their marketplace to their consumers? Uh, and so that's a and, and that's a big question. That's a question that's going to come. That's going to play a, f- a factor in the damages analysis if there is infringement found. Uh, so I hope that I hope that answer was it was probably a little bit longer. No, it's perfect. Uh, and you wanted, but I think, but but I to, to to wrap to sort of wrap around to your original question. I think Parsons is a true believer. I don't I don't know he he he's putting a lot on the line by filing a lawsuit. He you know he can't really walk away and just withdraw it. Uh, so he's kind of he's he has to be in it to win it. Uh, and not, and then the, on TaylorMade side, they just have to figure out how far they're going to go in defending it. But when you get a true believer that's suing you, uh, then you really you have a calculus to make. And oftentimes your calculus is that you you know you can't you can't afford to back down because this person will just keep pursuing you. Incredible stuff, Derek. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is Mr. Derek Brent, uh, attorney at law. Derek, thank you again so much for uh, your time tonight. And I know that this is going to be a, a case that's going to be going on for quite some time. I'd love to have you back on uh, as we know more and as more updates come down the pipeline. Oh, anytime, anytime, Adam. I appreciate you having me. And uh, again, I hope uh, my, my comments and commentary was, uh, was helpful or enlightening. 